going to uh, continue in our series of uh, sermons on the theme of discipleship. I'm going to take a little uh, departure from the kind of uh, published program, as it were. This week, in the course book that we're using in our, in our small groups, uh, the theme is the hope of discipleship. Um, I'm going to take a slightly different theme uh, this morning. I'm going to talk about the secret of discipleship, or the, the heart of discipleship, if you like. And just kind of recap some of the points that we've been talking about over the last um, few weeks. So if you're, in the, if you're in the home groups this week or the Lent group and you're uh, looking at the passage this week and you're not quite sure quite how it fits uh, with this morning, um, don't worry, it's not intended to. All right. I'm going to read from John's Gospel, from John uh, chapter 15, uh, starting at verse 1, and this is on page 1083. Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is part of what's known as the farewell discourses. It's the time where Jesus is preparing his disciples for uh, him leaving them. And he says this. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me... You can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the heart of discipleship, the sum of discipleship, uh, uh, the secret of discipleship, however uh, you want to put it. I'm just going to make three uh, sort of simple points this morning that I think come out of that passage and are there in the, the themes that we've been looking at over the past uh, few weeks. And really these are things for us to start thinking about um, ahead of the weekend away. Many of us, I know not all, but many of us are going on the church weekend away. And this is a way sort of setting the scene or preparing for that uh, where we'll be looking at discipleship uh, from a slightly different angle and a bit more depth um, on, uh, during that time together. First thing I want us to think about this morning is about the need for us to guard our hearts. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. When we looked at our passage on wisdom, we were in the book of Proverbs, and there I, I told you that this was a kind of handbook for young princes, training manual for how they must live and how much they conduct themselves when they enter into the royal court. 
the wisdom that they would need for life and to rule. And here we see uh, almost the kind of uh, most important part of that wisdom, the most important lesson that they had to learn. Above all else, whatever else you do, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Jesus says this, Remain in me, as I also remain in you. I am the true vine, you are the branches. There is a tendency for all of us uh, to get stuck in the Christian life, in the life of discipleship. There's a a tendency for us to uh, slow down, to stop, uh, to go backwards, uh, to be blown off course. I wonder if, like me, any of you have got into the new series that started on TV, uh, Mutiny. Uh, Nine sailors, some more experienced than others, are put in a, a small boat a replica of an 18th century lifeboat, and they're cast adrift in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, they're cast adrift at the spot where Captain Bly and nine of his sailors were cast adrift uh, during the mutiny on the bounty. And they must retrace uh, his voyage, voyage. They must travel 4,000 miles before they can get to safety. Just a few rations, a bit of water with them, whatever they can scavenge on um, tropical islands on the way. Uh, we follow uh, their course. And this last week, they were trapped in the doldrums. The doldrums is an area in the South Pacific uh, where trade winds from two different directions uh, combine, come together, and cancel each other out. And so what happens to them is what happened uh, to Captain Bly. They are becalmed. There is no wind. They put up the sails, but there's no wind to uh, take them forward, uh, no direction for them to go. They become tired, they get sunburnt, they become irritable. Some of them want to give up. We can find ourselves in the doldrums in the Christian life. Paul writes to his apprentice, his disciple, uh, Timothy, and says to him, look, you need to uh, watch your life, And you need to watch your teaching closely. In the words of Proverbs, you need to guard your heart. Because there are some who have not only become becalmed, but who have shipwrecked their faith. Being a Christian has been described by one author as like trying to ride a bike uphill. If you don't keep moving forwards, you find yourself sliding backwards. The writer to the Hebrews reminds us, look to Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith and run the race marked out for us. As we all know, that race is a marathon, not a sprint. We might start well, but it's not how fast we start or how far we go in the first hour that counts, but it's whether we finish. In the walk of faith, The important thing is that we stay with Christ. Remain in me, says Jesus. However you voted in the Brexit referendum, we are all Remainers this morning. 
Remain in me. Abide with me. Stay with me. Specifically, orientate our hearts, our inner self, that part of us which makes me, me, and you, you. Orientate them towards Jesus Christ. Develop and cultivate an attitude of trust in him. In the first of our series of sermons on discipleship, we looked uh, briefly at Psalm 1, chapter, uh, verses 2 to 3. And the image there is of a tree uh, planted uh, beside a stream. And the psalmist says a righteous person is like a tree uh, by a river that has uh, deep roots, that stands tall. That its roots go down and uh, nourishes that tree and it blossoms and it brings forth leaves uh, and fruit. And when the wind comes, uh, it bends, but it doesn't break, it doesn't fall down. That's the image of a a life of discipleship, a life centred upon God. And that life begins with an attitude of heart. So one question for us this morning, and uh, for us to think about over the coming weeks, and perhaps to take some time out uh, for those of us who are on the church weekend away, is is to look at our hearts. To take a good look inside. And say, well, where is my heart? What's going on in my inner self? And Jesus gives us a diagnostic test uh, to help us with this. He told a story uh, uh, that's recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels. Those gospels we call Matthew, Mark and Luke. It's there in all three. obviously made a, a mark on the disciples. It's the story of the sower, the parable of the sower and the seed. And it's, it can be used as a kind of diagnostic test. I think that's why Jesus told this story. If you read it uh, there, Luke chapter 9, uh, you see that the disciples, they're quite concerned after hearing this story. They're quite uh, discomforted. They're quite uncomfortable. They're keen to know what Jesus is getting at. What is he driving at? What's behind uh, this story? And Jesus in this story talks about different attitudes of heart. Things that we need to guard against, if you like. Three different heart conditions amongst those who respond uh, to his life. The first heart condition we need to guard against is a hardened heart. The sower sows his seed, and some of the seed uh, lands on a a path, a well-worn, well-trodden down, uh, hardened path. You've all seen them in the countryside. The the, the ground has become as hard as concrete by the many uh, footsteps that have gone across it. And the seed scattered just, just bounces off it, doesn't take root. And the birds come, and they take away the seed. This is a hardened heart. This is a cynical heart. It can happen to the best of us. It can happen to Christians who have walked with Jesus uh, for many, many years. Slowly over time, uh, perhaps imperceptibly, without hardly uh, noticing, your heart becomes hardened. It becomes callous. You become cynical. You grow cold to the promises of Christ. You cease to trust in him 
and trust in other things. Outwardly, you might just look exactly the same. You keep coming to church, you still take part in worship, you attend all the activities that are going on, but uh, hidden inside, something else is happening. You're cooling. You're becoming cynical. You're hardening. Guard your hearts against becoming hardened. Allow the Spirit to soften them, to bring joy again. Another heart condition Jesus warns against is about a shallow heart. The seed takes root, but then the sun comes up, and uh, the little growth that there is shrivels and dies. A shallow heart, a shallow faith. The teaching has been heard, it's been received, it's been accepted. The Alpha Course or the Nurture Group has been attended, uh, uh, the teaching has gone in, it's worked down into our hearts, but it's only worked so deep. We have a a shallow faith, a, a superficial faith. And then the heat comes, the sun burns. A tragedy comes into life. Our plans go awry. The things we hope for don't come to pass. We're let down by people in the church or people outside of the church. And our shallow hearts can't cope with it. The young growth is uprooted. Never went down deep enough. Guard ourselves from a shallow faith. Put down Deep roots. Grow deeper with God. Part of our diocesan um, strategy, our bishop has put forward, is that we will be a church that goes, uh, grows younger, that grows wider, and grows deeper. The third heart condition Jesus warns against is a conflicted heart. The seed takes root, it grows, shoots come forth, leaves bud, fruit is seen, and up alongside it grow weeds and thorns and briars. Cares and conflicts come into the space. They usurp the life that should be that of the seed. This is the heart of a conflicted Christian. A Christian who has said yes to Christ and who has grown in Christ but has then become conflicted. Has said yes too to things in opposition to Christ. Said yes to things against Christ. Given in to their worries and their fears and their temptations. Those things too have taken root in the heart of the Christian and are strangling the life that God has placed there. Guard your hearts. Lead us not into temptation, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, but deliver us from evil. And fourthly, and finally, there is the fertile heart, the seed that finds itself in good soil. Deep roots are put down, it's watered and nurtured, it grows, it blossoms, it bears fruit. Ten times, twenty times, thirty times, a hundredfold. 
picture of the fruitful disciple. How is your heart this morning? Perhaps you don't know. Perhaps you're one of those people who's not particularly in tune with themselves. Perhaps you've never considered the question. I kind of encourage you in the coming days to take some time to pause, to draw aside, to look inside. To ask God to show yourself, your heart to you in a way that you've perhaps never been aware of before. And then don't despair. Don't give up. Remain in me, says Jesus. That word remain can also mean abide, can also mean uh, trust. Stay with me, says Jesus, and I will stay with you. I'm the vine and you are the branches. Let my life flow through you. At the heart of discipleship, there is a need to guard our hearts. There's also a need to count the cost. I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be ever more fruitful. I'm not a gardener, I'm hopeless in the gardening, but I know that pruning is necessary for growth. You need to cut back the plant to make space for new growth. You need to remove the dead wood. You need to uh, give time and space for new life to develop. I don't know. I don't think uh, plants, uh, plants experience pain. But I imagine a plant doesn't really look forward to the gardener approaching with secateurs. That's what they're called, isn't it? Gardening scissors was what I had in my notes. I had to ask somebody at the other service. The Lord disciplines those he loves. He shapes us. He prunes us. He changes us. He goes to work on us. He addresses issues in our lives that aren't glorifying to him. And that can be hard and it can be difficult. And we all know that discipleship at times is not easy. Jesus was always clear about the cost of following him. He encouraged his disciples to count the cost. To take stock before they embarked on the adventure with him. Which king goes to war without first not calculating how great an army he will need? Who of you would build a great big tower before first working out how much the materials will cost and the labours to hire? If anyone would be my disciple, let him come after me, take up his cross daily and follow me. I think the most challenging word uh, in that sentence is the word daily, not cross. We can carry a cross for a time, for a moment. We can share the burden briefly. But the call to discipleship is a call to live with Jesus and for Jesus daily, every day. To learn from him each day, to be obedient to him each day, to follow Christ at every stage of life, in every circumstance of life. Again, going back to a theme in our uh, earlier series. All things were made through Christ 
and all things were made for Christ. Blessed are the pure in heart, said Jesus, for they will see God. And that word uh, pure means uh, undivided. It means, uh, you know, something which uh, is impure is something which has uh, foreign substances in there, uh, chemicals that aren't there. Uh, a, A ring that is impure gold is made of an alloy. There's gold, but there's something else mixed in there too. Blessed are the pure in heart, those who have undivided hearts, those whose focus is solely upon Christ. Recently read something that Pavarotti said. Uh, Pavarotti was, a, was a, the son of a baker. He grew up in Medina in northern Italy uh, from quite a humble uh, background, really. His father was a baker, and uh, he loved to sing. And he would sing in church, and Pavarotti would hear his father uh, sing beautifully in church services. And his father, Fernando, encouraged Pavarotti uh, to sing as well, and he had a gift for it. Pavarotti loved sports too, and his dream was to become a professional footballer. He was a talented goalkeeper. His mother, ever sensible, said he really should become a teacher and encouraged him to train at teacher training college. As he got to his teenage years, he realised that he would never make it as a footballer, and so he did enrol in teacher training college. And then he graduated, and then he asked to speak to his father. He had a dilemma. What should I do, father, he said. Shall I be a teacher, or shall I be a singer? This was his father's advice. He said this, Luciano, if you try and sit on two chairs you will fall between them. For life, you must choose one chair. Pavarotti said this of that day. I chose one. I chose the chair of singing. It took seven years of study and frustration before I made my first professional appearance. It took another seven to reach the Metropolitan Opera. And now I think, whether it is laying bricks, or writing a book, or whatever it is we choose to commit ourselves to, we have to give ourselves to it 100%. Choose a chair. Choose the right chair. Count the cost. And then commit ourselves to being a disciple of Christ 100%. Disciple guards their heart. They count the cost. And thirdly and finally, a disciple bears fruit. No branch, says Jesus, can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus changed the world by pouring himself 
into a relatively small group of people. And he poured himself into them over a relatively short period of time. One would deny him. One would betray him. One would doubt him. And yet, in the words of the book of Acts, they turned the world upside down. I got the story of Pavarotti from an American priest whose sermon I listened to uh, called Kendall Harmon. And uh, uh, I was re- uh, listening to a series of sermons he was uh, doing on the theme of discipleship. And uh, the sermon in which uh, the story of Pavarotti appears is a sermon entitled Disciples Making Disciples. It's a great image. Disciples Making Disciples. A disciple bears fruit. A key element of discipleship is not just uh, receiving, not just about growing ourselves, but it's about passing on what we learn and what we're growing in onto others. I spoke recently about living a whole life devoted to mission. We remembered the words of Jesus. Go into all nations and teach them everything I have commanded you. There's an element of going and teaching at the heart of discipleship. And so there's another question for us this morning and another question for us to think about in the coming days and weeks. Where am I going and who am I teaching? Who am I discipling? Who am I shaping? Who am I mentoring? Who is it who's looking to me to learn how to follow Jesus more closely? If you're a ministry leader, it might be people in the sphere of ministry. If you're a home group leader, it might be people in your home group. If you're a parent, it should certainly be your children, your teenagers. How are you encouraging them in their faith? How are you helping them grow? How are you moulding them and shaping them and mentoring them? Who are you discipling? And if you can't answer that question, perhaps the, the question for you then is, well, who could you be discipling? Who could you be discipling? At the start of our service, our young people get up and they leave and they go into their activities. And there's a huge, huge crowd of them. Children, really little ones, uh, teenagers, full of questions, full of life, full of hope, full of opportunity. Searching for a way forward, seeking to uh, grow in their faith, looking at how to be faithful to Christ. We need to be discipling them as a church. And we as a church need to take that responsibility seriously. If you do have a a leadership role in those groups, how do you see that role? Is it a chore to be dispatched? Is it a task that you need to do as as quickly as you can, get your, your place on the rotor over and done with? Or is it a responsibility that you see as coming from the Lord? Young people to be discipled, to be nurtured, to be encouraged.
This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. In 1960, a man called Tom Monahan bought a small pizza shop in Michigan, in America, near Michigan University. It was called Dominic's, and he paid $900 for it. Five years later, he bought another two stores uh, close by, so he had three stores in total. He began making pizza deliveries using his brother's Volkswagen Beetle, and eventually his brother sold him the car, and so he could use it a full time. Tom wanted a name for his three pizza stores, a name that they could share so they could all have the the same uh, branding, they could use the same advertising in each store. Uh, They couldn't use Dominic's for legal reasons, and so one day one of their delivery drivers came in and said, I have another idea for a name for the store. We can't call it Dominic's, but how about Domino's? Tom thought that was a great idea. So they took the name Domino's, Domino's Pizza. And as their symbol, they took a a, a Domino chip, a chip with uh, three uh, spots on it, half red, half blue. One dot on one side, two dots on the other. One dot for the first store, two dots for the other two stores that they bought. Their plan was that they would add a new dot for every new store that they opened. And if you do the math, the maximum stores they could have would be 12 at 6 on each side. But growth went further and faster than they planned. First store in 1960. In 1967, they opened their first franchise. In 1978, they had 200 stores. In 1983, they opened their first international store in Canada. The first store was opened in Britain in 1985. Luton was the place they chose to open. Only knew Graham was nearby somewhere. In 1995, they had 1,000 stores. Two years later, they had 1,500 stores. In 2014, they had 6,000 stores. This year, they have 1,000 stores in India alone. In 1998, Tom sold the chain for $1 billion. Incredible, unparalleled growth. He was asked, what is the secret of your success? How did you do it? This was his answer. I programmed everything for growth. How did you do that? Was the question. What do you think his answer would be? We developed secret recipes. We made better pizzas than anybody else. We had a unique marketing campaign. We uh, put everything into innovation. We spent more on advertising than anybody else. We uh, found the best locations. His answer was this. Every day, we develop people. The key to growth is developing people. Not developing pizzas, developing people. Mark of discipleship is growth. So this morning, 
As I conclude, as we draw this to a close, I hope to prompt you to start thinking as we head into the the season before our weekend away. Here's uh, three things for you to consider. Where's your heart at? Guard your heart. Count the cost. Where's the cost for you at this moment in time in terms of discipleship? What is the Lord asking you to do? What path is he directing you towards? Take up your cross daily and follow him. Thirdly, who are you discipling? Where can you bear fruit? Are you discipling your children? Could you be discipling others in our church? Is there people you know outside of church who are just on the edge of faith, who just need a little bit of time, a little bit of help, uh, some prayer and companionship to take the next step forward? Guide your, guard your heart. Count the cost. Bear fruit. Remain in me, says Jesus, and I will remain with you. Let's pray in the band. Uh, if you come up as well, that'd be great. So, Father, we pray that you would uh, continue to speak to us and leaders and directors as a church and as individual families, uh, couples and people. Lord, take us deeper in our uh, walk with you, our following you. Reveal your will for us. Take us forward. Encourage us and challenge us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.